All right. Well, we begin a new year with a new series today, and uh, this series is going to be focused on what it truly means to follow Jesus. And the series is entitled, All In, All In. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the what? To the full, to the full. The question is, how do we find that life? I think every Christian at some point or another or at many points along the journey have asked themselves that question and asked God that question. Lord, Jesus came to bring me abundant life, to bring me life to the full. Lord, I'm, I'm not there right now. How do I find that? How do I lock into the life that Jesus means for me to live? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. How do we sustain, even in the midst of disappointment and difficulty, the attitude of Christ? Paul said in Philippians 2, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality God something to be grasped, but made himself what? Nothing. Emptied himself entirely that the will of God might fill him, that he might enter into the life that God wanted him to lead while he was on this earth. And that is our same goal as well as we seek to be Christ-like How do we begin to see the world and all that comes into our lives, the challenges, the difficulties, the tragedies, the triumphs, the things that we want to come into our lives, the the goals that we achieve and realize, and those things that we would rather not come into our lives? How do we see all those things, life as a whole, through the lens of faith? How do we... Walk in such a way that we believe that everything in our lives is father-filtered. That everything that comes into our lives, whether good or bad, is ultimately for our good and for His glory. How do we find rest in the rush of life? Paul David Tripp Put it this way, he said, your rest is not to be found in figuring your life out. I don't know about you guys, but I spend a lot of time trying to do that. You know, well, why would God do this? Well, but God, I did this. How about, he says, you're not going to find rest there, trying to figure it all out. You know, the scripture says that, that our thoughts aren't God's thoughts, and our minds aren't God's minds, and his ways aren't our ways. So he says, you're not going to find rest in trying to figure your life out, but you're going to find rest in trusting the one who has it all figured out for your good and for his glory. I believe that. Do you believe that? I have a lot of difficulty living that, to be your pastor, okay? That's hard. You know, the question is, how do we do that? It's so much easier said and read than it is done. So, okay, Lord, I'm not going to try to figure anything out. I'm just going to trust you in 2019. That's the goal. But it's a challenge. It is a challenge. Twenty-three times in the New Testament, Jesus 
either says the words, follow me, when he calls the disciples, and they leave their nets behind, or they walk away from their CPA business. He says, follow me. Or, in those 23 times, either says that, or he talks about what it means to follow him. What it means, in other words, to be all in with Jesus Christ. What it truly means to be a Christian. Not just a cultural Christian. Not just folks that come to church. Not just people going through the motions. But what it really means to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's what He's called us to. To be where the fullness of life is found. In Him. Jesus also makes it clear that half-hearted followers never find that fullness. So, man, that's kind of harsh. It's true. If we're not all in, Jesus said, you're either for me or you're what? You're against me. There's no sort of middle ground with Jesus. He says you're either all in or you're not. And half-hearted followers are not going to latch on to the abundant life that he has called us to live. And in a shocking statement, Jesus said this. It has puzzled many theologians over the years. But Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are they who find it. He's talking to his followers there. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are they who find it. Why do you think that's true? Why do you think the life Jesus offered us is found by so few? Why do you think so few people actually live the life that Jesus promised, the abundant life, the full life in him? I think it's because the world's definition of life the one most people pursue, including me much of the time, is exactly the opposite of Jesus' definition of life. The suburban life, the goals, the pursuits that we have in this kind of life are diametrically opposed to the life that Jesus is offering us. We're comfort seekers. As you read the New Testament it is anything but comfort that Jesus is offering us. We get tangled up in that. And so for the next few weeks, I, I want us to take a hard look at what Jesus actually said. Not what Phil says, but at what Jesus actually said about following him and finding the life that he's offering us. What is he calling us to do? How are we to live? If you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Just a quick warning uh, up front uh, this morning. I don't know if you were just looking for a pep talk on the, you know, to get your 2019 started today. Um, but uh, this one's not really a pep talk. These are the words of Jesus, and, and uh, they're hard teachings teachings 
Jesus used, if you pay close attention to the Scripture, almost every time he came out with these hard teachings, just prior to that it would say, and a large crowd was following him. And then, boom, he would drop a hard teaching. And they're teachings literally that Jesus used to thin the herd. Jesus wasn't focused on attendance numbers like churches are today. He was focused on making disciples who would change the world. Period. He preferred a few who were all in to a crowd that was half-hearted. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 uh, here in, in Luke's gospel. Uh, Peter had seen that. Uh, Jesus says, who do you say I am? Jeter, J- Peter, for the first time, declares Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus essentially acknowledges that he is the Messiah. He tells the disciples, don't, don't, don't run around telling people this. So for the first time, they see him and they know and he acknowledges that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that is ultimately to restore Israel and bring salvation. Then Jesus shatters the disciples' expectation of him by telling them that as the Messiah, whom they thought would overthrow Roman rule, would be a military leader, a powerful figure, and would be a strong arm that would take Israel back to its glory, Jesus shatters their expectations when he tells them that he will be rejected, that he will suffer, that he will ultimately die, and that he will be raised again But then he continues to shatter their expectations of what it means to follow him. Because if you'll remember, the disciples along the way, man, they were were wrestling uh, for power in Jesus' kingdom that he would bring. You know, I want to sit at your right hand. No, I want to sit at your right hand. So they thought Jesus was ushering in this earthly kingdom of power. And they were jockeying for position But Jesus shatters those expectations when he says this. Verse 23, he said to all of them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or soul. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, Jesus said, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Hard words. Very difficult words, especially for comfort-craving people like me. And I would venture to say like you. The gospel costs nothing. Salvation is free. Forgiveness is free. The gift that Jesus gives us through his death on the cross, ultimately his burial and his resurrection, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of life, abundant and eternal, is an absolute gift of grace. And it is free. The gospel costs nothing but it demands everything. It's a sacred irony. 
Taking up your cross means living a life voluntarily surrendered to God. And I don't know about you, but that is the greatest challenge of my life. Dying to myself. Crucifying the old man. And allowing Christ to live in and through me. Moment by moment. Day by day. Week by week. A long obedience in the same direction. Christianity is far from a crutch. It is the most challenging way to move through life because it calls for us to crucify, to kill ourselves. Because to do that, we've got to set our lives aside. We've got to set our plans. We've got to set our dreams. We've got to set our agendas. We've got to set our picture of what our life should look like aside. And that's not easy. It's hard. The cross in Jesus' day was not what the cross is today. It wasn't a cute gold necklace around our neck. It wasn't a sign of goodwill. The cross Jesus refers to when he said, carry your cross, pick up your cross, it was an implement of torture. It was an implement of suffering and death. It had no other meaning in the first century. So taking up your cross was a death sentence. So in essence, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple... You've got to die to yourself. That's the heart. That is the core. That is the message of sanctification. Of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Less of me, more of Him. That's what our time on this earth as Christians is all about. Beth's already read this verse, but I'll share it with you again. Paul said to the Corinthians, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old man is passed away. Not just put in the past. The old man is dead. Paul said, And the new man has come in Christ. The cross meant suffering. The cross meant shame. The cross meant death. Jesus says, you've got to be willing to pick that up to follow me. And many in the crowd dispersed. Understandably. He says, you need to know what you're getting into. And I'm afraid in contemporary Christianity, we don't make that clear enough. There's an easy believism. We, we just want conversions and we want people to come to Christ and we want another notch on the belt. But we don't make it clear enough that when you come, the decision you make to come to Christ means you must die. You literally, your plans, your agenda, your dreams, your picture of what your life should be must be set aside For the picture God has for your life. 
It's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus says this is an all or nothing deal. And so much of Christian teaching today focuses on self-help, three points to a better life, on prosperity, God wants you to be rich, health and wealth, motivational tips. You can do it, man. Just grab yourself by the bootstraps. You can do it. God's with you. But Jesus makes it clear that life's not found in making yourself better. <laughs> life's found in making yourself debtor. We laugh, but let me tell you, that is diametrically opposed to the world and the message of the world. And 99% of what is coming at us every single day in the marketing machine. You've got to be better. You've got to have more. You've got to look nicer. You've got to live longer. You've got everything. Da, 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 da. Jesus says it's not about making yourself better. It's all well and good, but the heart of salvation is found in you being willing to die to yourself. You being willing not to be better. Jesus wants us to, to die to ourselves and sweep our bones off the throne of our lives and put him there. I've shared this before. You know, the problem with that is uh, living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar. <laughs> That's the challenge. That's the process that we're in until we're face-to-face -face with him and we are as he is. We're going to continually want to crawl off the altar because it hurts. We're going to push back on the pain. We're going to wonder what God's up to. We're going to question God. We're going to wonder why this came into my life and why that came into my life, why that happened, why this happened, and what's God doing. Again, we're going to try to figure it all out. Paul described it perfectly in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, the abundant life. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And taking up your cross means treasuring Jesus more than you treasure the approval of others. More than you treasure money, possessions, success. More than you treasure even your family. Well, that's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Any earthly possession. Staying in Luke chapter 9, there are several passages here, at least in my Bible, that are, that are labeled the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship, essentially. How many of you have read that book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship? Fantastic book that just gets down to the core of what Jesus has called us to do and to be from from a German uh, Lutheran pastor who pastored an underground congregation and then ultimately pastored men in Hitler's concentration camps. He knew a little bit about what it meant to die to self. The cost of discipleship. He pulls no punches. Jesus says this, 
in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. So fast forward a little bit from where we were. He says, as they were walking along the road, Jesus just generally, the crowds following him, you know, people are coming up to him. They want to be a part of what's going on with these miracles and, and just be associated with something exciting. Uh, it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? Jesus said to another man, hey, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Man, these are, what Jesus is saying, these are hard teachings. Jesus, he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Jesus speaks to those who crave comfort here. He speaks to those who deify family. He speaks to those who have great excuses. Much of what Jesus says in these passages, especially in one that we'll move into shortly, you know, he talks about he who's not willing to hate his mother and his father. And is Jesus telling us to hate our mother? He's using hyperbole there. And to a great degree in these, these, these passages, he's using that to make a point. And the point is, I am the priority. If you are to be my disciple, I must be on the throne of your life. Not even your family can come before me. He makes it clear that following him comes with a cost. And I don't know that we do that enough in in church today, in contemporary Christianity. Traveling around the world, going to to Haiti and, and spending so much time there over the last eight years. Uh, now we're in Guatemala. Many of you have been with us to these places in Kenya uh, back in the spring. Man, I tell you, it's, it's a different experience to be a Christian in those places. Because Jesus is literally, for many of those people, Jesus is literally all they have. All they have. And they understand the cost to following Jesus. They understand what it means to trust Jesus, to trust God for their next meal. And to continue to trust Him one day at a time. And, and, and you know, we're, we're blessed in many ways to be here from a physical standpoint. But from a spiritual standpoint, I'm not real sure how blessed we are to be where we are in this country and in certain places in this country. Because there is so much that competes with the call and the cost of discipleship in our lives. And comfort has a tendency to win out. It's going to 
cost us something. Jesus never sugarcoated it. Finding the life that you were meant to live means surrendering the life that you're currently living. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Saying, God, here I am. Send me. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. Lord, let me hear you. Let me follow by faith the direction that you're leading me in. And let me be the person you've called me to be in the place you've called me to go. It's a tall order. It means parking everything else that we think our lives should be. I ran into a quote this week that I, that I thought was, was fantastic that fits well here. Um, it says, We're too Christian to enjoy sin and too sinful to enjoy Christ. It's the dual nature there. Um, we've got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough to be transformed. That's so true. So true. And so Jesus is calling us... Not just in this new year, but every single day, one day at a time, Jesus is calling us to go all in with him, to fully surrender ourselves to him and to him alone, to move ourselves off the throne of our lives, to move literally what we want off the throne of our lives and allow the will of God to replace our own will. It's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anguishing. Crying. Blood coming from his forehead. That Jesus, the Son of God, struggled to that degree with exactly what I'm talking about right now. So how much are we going to struggle to let go and to surrender and to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. But that is the call of the Christian life. Fast forward to Luke chapter 14. Verse 25. Again, my Bible labels this the cost of being a disciple. And here again, large crowds are traveling with Jesus and they're and turning to them, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, hyperbole to make his point. I must be number one. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. I'm talking about counting the cost here. Not just jumping in and saying, man, that was a good message. I'm into this thing. He says, hey. Count the cost. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. He'll surrender, essentially. 
In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What do you need to give up today? Jesus is generous. says, you've got to give up your entire life. You've got to give up everything. What are you holding on to that is keeping you from going all in with him? What do you need to let go of this year to live the life that he's offering you? There is a cost to following Christ, but the reward, which we can't even imagine this side of heaven, It is beyond our wildest imagination. It is beyond words that I could possibly articulate. The reward is beyond anything that we can imagine on this earth. It's worth it. It is worth it. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I'll close with this. He said, the more we let God take us over, the more we're willing to die to ourselves the more truly ourselves we become. The more truly the person God created you to be in Christ, you will become. It's about letting go. It's about surrender. It's about acknowledging and being willing to pay the price to follow Christ. It's about going all in. And that's my challenge to you this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, we acknowledge the impossible teaching of Jesus. (laughs) Not just the hard teaching, but the impossible teaching. But Lord, you promise us Uh, And Jesus promised us when he came to be at your right side that he would not leave us as orphans, that he would not be uh, leaving and not sending someone who would take us where we needed to be, and that is your Holy Spirit. And Father, it is through the power of your Holy Spirit which resides in us that we are able to put the flesh to death, that we are able to crucify ourselves, die daily, and live for you. And Lord, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. I know I do. That's why Paul said, I died daily. Daily. Lord Jesus, give us the capacity to love you, to be willing to set our lives aside, our picture of what our lives should be aside, that we might follow you fully. And we might trust and truly believe that it is for our good and for your glory. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Phil, I just want to say...